right, we uh, our guest is here, and it's a pleasure to speak with him, uh, Dr. Voss Hart. Hi, doctor. Good afternoon. I am so sorry. I've been watching the clock here, and uh, the last few minutes flipped away from me. Hey, it happens. No problem. Uh, it's good to talk to you. I know that several months ago I was watching the news, you know, getting depressed as usual, watching the news, and uh, they, they came on with something about pilots. They wanted to uh, even the score on pilots with race and gender identity, hiring pilots, and I'm thinking, gee, somebody is flying the plane. Shouldn't they be the best possible person they could get to be a pilot and then I read this email that Maria sent me about you know they're doing this in the medical field too so tell us about it and uh, you've got an op-ed on it tell us about it well if you think uh, it's scary with regard to pilots it's mm-hmm. really terrifying with respect to my profession of surgery uh, what is being held up right now is um, or promoted I should say is the idea that there is inadequate representation in surgery of certain minorities because they're not represented in the same proportions that they are present in the population. The, the example is given that if you have, you know, 14 uh, percent blacks in the U.S. population, then we should have 14 percent representation of blacks in surgery. Of course, they don't make those same, uh, those same claims for things like uh, sports, where, you know, in basketball, clearly there's a uh, disproportion in representation of blacks in basketball. But the thing is this, you, you have to have the people uh, that are qualified in the numbers to be able to, to meet those, those quotas, and I will call them quotas. Um, right now, 2% of the uh, surgeons in uh, the U.S. are black. Uh, what's happened, and the reason why that op-ed, uh, that editorial that I wrote appeared, as well as several others, uh, is that the American College of Surgeons that I belong to, which is the largest and oldest organization that represents surgeons, uh, is supposedly dedicated to excellence in surgery, came out in 2020, and the leadership stated that the ACS, the American College of Surgeons, is a structurally racist organization, uh, went on to claim that surgeons are racist and that even the practice of surgery is discriminatory. And the whole basis for that was in these disparities, the fact that the numbers don't add up the way they would like them to. Uh, they didn't take into account all the other myriad factors that could explain uh, why you know there aren't more uh, surgeons. They just stated flatly that racism is the cause and we have to weed this out of the American College of Surgeons. The problem is when you surgeons racist um, and saying that white surgeons will not treat black patients with the same level of care or with as good results as they will um, white patients, uh, I can't think of a more toxic thing to claim. Uh, and this is, again, without any evidence or proof whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it breeds mistrust where you know minority patients will be looking at their surgeons thinking, oh, am I going to get the best care? because the surgeons, or I am, uh, the leadership in the ACS who has even uh, promoted the idea that black patients, and, and I, I would go along to say also other ethnic uh, uh, patients, but the issue has been primarily a black-white issue, that 
black patients uh, are better served by being treated by black surgeons. And as I mentioned before, the problem is numbers. If you don't have numbers, then the only way you're going to get those numbers to improve is to lower the bar in terms of the the quality of the people that you're going to admit into surgery, very much as universities have lowered the bar for the, the quality of uh, academic performance of the uh, students they admit mm-hmm. in order to meet certain quotas of <clears throat> minorities. Um, it, Frustrating. What do you want for a surgeon? Do you want the, the best surgeon you can have, the guy that, was, uh, that performed best in medical school and got into a good residency and performed extremely well there? Or do you want a surgeon where you have to ask yourself, was this person uh, a diversity hire that was chosen because of the color of his skin or because he or she met some other uh, immutable uh, box that competence in surgery. Um, I, I think it's a terrible thing to do. I think it's happening everywhere, but it's happening in my own field of medicine, and uh, I couldn't sit back and say nothing about it. So when you, you do an op-ed such as this one, um, do you get a lot of support or you get a lot of flack for it or what? It's surprising. I get... I get a lot of silence, believe it or not. Oh, silence, playing it safe, yeah. huh? <laughs> I, I get a lot of private support. Uh, I get surprisingly little public support. And I know that because this is what a lot of people tell me, is that they support what I'm saying, but they're afraid to publicly stand up and say the same thing because it'll put their career in jeopardy. Literally, uh, making some of the statements that I have made can lose your job these days. If you work for a big hospital or big corporation, um, your your job may be in jeopardy for standing up against uh, this diversity, equity, inclusion that has so infected all of our institutions. Um, I don't get a lot of blowback, but but I have. I mean, I've been called a racist. I've been called many things. Um, I'm fortunate. Uh, I'm at a point in my career where I'm not worried about losing my job because I plan to retire soon. Um, I'm old enough that I don't really care that much what people say about me. I'm, I'm confident in, in my own uh, skin, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that, that I was raised in a, in a home where racism was definitely not something that was, was advocated, promoted, or even uh, uh, considered as, as something uh, that anybody should, uh, should pursue. Um, I was raised to see, and I was trained. I was raised in a family that, that saw every individual as a unique individual, child of God, if you will. And I was trained uh, at a time when medicine uh, taught you to see the patient in front of you, not to see them as some member of an identity group, Certainly, to see them as a unique individual and to mm-hmm. treat them that way. And so I, I haven't gotten a lot of uh, negative uh, uh, feedback and uh, somewhat sadly, not as much positive feedback as I would like. So what, in my opinion, and I'm sure you agree with this, is uh, what they're doing, they are, you know, coming out of Washington and places like that and the political correctness crowd, they're, plant, they're planting hate seeds. They're planting hate seeds in people's minds that don't exist, and I don't believe these things exist. It's interesting you say that, because I have observed, and I'm sure you have done the same, when you go out and about these days, you're out, you know, shopping, you're in town, you're doing your, your errands, people are going about their lives. You don't see people screaming at each other. You don't see people expressing overt racism. Uh, people seem to get along quite well. They're mostly polite. Um, they're going about their business. But when you get on 
line and on somebody's forearms and you start looking at these things, uh, you would think the country's in the middle of a racial civil war sometimes. Right, yeah. And I believe this has been actually uh, kind of um, uh, encouraged in some respects by these people that are seeking to uh, increase racial awareness, um, you know, increasing uh, calls for segregation. I mean, they're calling for segregated dorms these days, according to race. They're calling for segregated uh, graduation ceremonies. Uh, even in medical schools, they are separating students of different races to teach them about uh, different aspects of DEI. You know, white students are taught about their white privilege. Uh, black students are taught about their black oppression. Uh, and I think it is simply increasing the divisiveness and increasing the awareness of race, which I thought was mm-hmm. something we had put behind us uh, back uh, after the days of the Civil Rights Movement. I'll tell you, Doc, uh, I, I think we were making good progress till recent years, and then it's it's been set back by the media and, uh, and by the uh, political uh, situations. But naturally, all of us, no matter what color we are, we want to get the best surgeon, the best doctors to care for us. And we want the best pilot to take us where we want to go. I don't think we think, well, this or that. But they're making an issue out of it, and uh, so you've got an op-ed on it. I've gotten several, believe it or not. This mm-hmm. was just the latest in the Washington Examiner. Yeah. So you're but still. I agree with you. I think I think people when they when they ask for someone, they want that person to be competent. They want the best thing, whether it's a surgeon or a plumber or a pilot or a lawyer, uh, mechanic. Sure. Of course. Uh, you know, I don't care if my mechanic is black, white, or green, or yellow, or purple, as long as they're a great mechanic and take you know take uh, good care of my whatever it is that they're repairing for me. Uh, the same applies with an attorney, and I would certainly hope the same would apply with a surgeon. We've seen a lot of this in politics, you know, these very important positions, and they're not getting the best, in my opinion, that they could. So uh, I think someone has a question for you. Let's see. Hi, WYCH. Hi. Hi. Uh, doctor, do- don't uh, all the doctors have to take the same medical test? to qualify for their licenses? Mm-hmm. Good question. Thank, Thank you. you. Don't they all take the same medical test, or is it different to, to matter who you are? They have. That's an excellent question. Things have changed. There used to be a very uh, uh, generally accepted way of uh, you know, selecting students for medical school. You have to take a standardized test called a med you had to have excellent grades. I mean, you know, 4.0 grades uh, were pretty typical. If you weren't an A student, your for medical school was going to be sufficiently, significantly weakened. Mm-hmm. Uh, and while you're in medical school, you have to take examinations along the way, the total of three exams that lead up to licensure, uh, what they call them step one, step two, step three. Uh, what they have done is they have, because the, the examinations are said to disproportionately disadvantage minorities, in other words, minorities don't do as well on them, what they have done is, in some cases, they've dropped these tests altogether so that you, you can get into medical school, never taking the standardized med, uh, MedCat examination. Um, the Step 1 test, which has always been graded, uh, is now on a pass-fail basis, and uh, you have to... You have to be above the bottom 6% in your pass. I mean, basically, uh, anybody that, that uh, 
has a pulse almost can pass that examination these days. So it's very difficult to single out the, the best and the brightest, uh, both to get into medical school and to proceed through medical school. So the testing has changed dramatically, but it's not just changed for, for you know, specific groups. It's changed for everybody. But the reason for the change was because the, the groups that were, that were said to be disadvantaged uh, felt that they had to get rid of these tests because otherwise they could not be competitive. So I think it has definitely affected the, the quality of medical students. This has also affected the quality in, in elite universities like Harvard and, 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 and Yale and Princeton where they've lowered their admission standards as well. And, and you can get into some of those schools based on an essay that just talks about your life experiences and if they are sufficiently uh, adequate to check off certain boxes, you have a better than even chance of getting in. Um, so the answer to the question is yes, the testing has changed. It's hard to tell uh, who's good, who's mediocre, who's not. And um, I don't believe that's a good thing. So correct me if I'm wrong, but before you become a, uh, officially a doctor, or you were a surgeon, is that correct? That is correct. Isn't it 12 years you have to go to school? Well, it depends on the, the specialty. Mm-hmm. Um, medical school typically is four years. Mm-hmm. Um, most surgical residencies are at least four years. So you're talking about eight years right there. Um, in my particular case, my, my training after medical school was a total of seven years. So that was 11 years. And things like neurosurgery and open heart and some others, yes, you'll, you'll be in training and you know, you'll be undergoing your education training for upwards of, a, of 12 years or more. So one would have to go through all those years, but um, it's different how they choose who goes on. Well, there are certain, for example, there are certain um, residencies that are more desirable than others. There's mm-hmm. a hierarchy. Uh, plastic surgery, which that's my specialty is plastic surgery, at this moment happens to be one of the most desirable and most difficult specialties to get uh, into a training program. Um, other things are, are also very competitive. Uh, and if you don't have some way of, of selecting the best and brightest, it's very hard to choose the best uh, individuals to enter those specialties. Um, if everyone is on the same playing field and there's no grading system to establish a, a, high, you know, a hierarchy of, of academic achievement, uh, how do you know who you're getting? Um, it makes it very, very hard to do that. Um, it's hard to believe that so many. That I, it's, hard, quiet, it's hard to believe that so many people don't get this. I mean, you're just going to think of your own personal. You know, if I'm flying, I want the best pilot. If I'm getting surgery, I want the best surgeon. I mean, it's. I'm surprised more people aren't speaking up about that. And it's very surprising to me. And people that are not prejudiced, people just want the best for these very sensitive jobs. <laughs> and. I don't know. I'm amazed. Well, think about this. This is this is something which I don't think is widely known at all because you never hear about it. I've never heard this mentioned in the media anywhere. Um, I trained in general surgery before I became a plastic surgeon. That was a five-year residency. At the end of five years, you're supposed to be a competent surgeon. You're supposed to be able to go out there and open a practice and practice independently and be at a very minimum competent. Hopefully, you'll be excellent, but at a minimum, you should be competent. 
we are putting out surgeons today, and this is not a, a rare occurrence, that have gone through five years of training, like I did, and are coming out of these programs with insufficient uh, hands-on experience and training to practice safely independently. A lot of these surgeons need to have uh, another year of what I would call an apprenticeship under an experienced surgeon where they're basically being mentored uh, in all their operations in order to uh, finally become an independent surgeon. So we've gone to where we could produce a competent surgeon in a five-year residency uh, to where that's no longer sufficient to produce a, a well-trained, competent surgeon. And a lot of these younger surgeons coming out uh, need more time. Uh, I've gotten to the point where, and I say this in all seriousness, where I would be hesitant to go to a surgeon who was under 40 years of age unless I had absolute certainty mm, about their competency because uh, I don't trust the way they're being trained these days. So how are they scrutinized, doctor? I mean, you know, if they're not doing a good job, uh, do we turn the other way if they are this religion or this race? Or uh, how are they scrutinized to make sure they're doing a good job? Well, it is somewhat subjective. A lot of it is based on the assessments uh, from the, the surgeons in the program you're in. When you're in a training program, you have what are called attending surgeons. These are their... The, the established surgeons that are responsible for your training and, and they oversee the work, they operate with you when you're starting out, they basically hold your hand later on when you're more experienced, they kind of turn you loose a little bit and every year, you know, you get assessed from year to year and there are situations where a, a young surgeon in training may be told, listen, you're not cutting it uh, we don't think you're cut out for surgery. You can need to go into something else. I've seen that happen personally mm-hmm. uh, to to people that I was in training with. Um, so there is there is a somewhat subjective assessment, uh, and then of course you have uh, to pass an examination. A a surgeon cannot be board certified without passing a very comprehensive written examination, uh, as well as an oral examination, where you will be uh, uh, examined in front of uh, three with surgeons and you'll be asked about caring for patients and surgery and, and questions that are intended to establish that you are not competent and you have to produce a log uh, you have to have a record of every operation that you have been involved in whether as the primary surgeon or the assistant and that log has to be presented to the certifying board uh, in the case of uh, general surgery that would be the American Board of Surgery. So there's there's a multi-layer assessment of a surgeon's abilities uh, that includes these examinations plus their their log of cases. One thing that's happening today that's fine to be honest, uh, and I have directly from residents that I've spoken to is that uh, some of these programs that are putting out surgeons that I feel are not adequately trained are actually allowing their their residents their trainees. The list operations that they simply observed uh, as the log in the log is operations that they've been involved with. Mm-hmm. So uh, they didn't do the operation, they never assisted, they simply watched, and yet that operation goes in the log book to be counted as their surgical experience for, for sitting for their boards. And to me, that is absolutely astounding that, that they would uh, do it's that. Criminal. I think if that was actually proven to be true, um, 
I have this from, from people that are in training, mm-hmm. but there hasn't been really a whistleblower out there to, to document that. Uh, but I think that explains why some surgeons are getting out that are not qualified to be practicing. So they, you would think they have a quota, so they're going to ease up on some of the uh, situations that you have to prove. And as you just said, watching it is certainly not the same as doing it. And uh, sounds criminal to me. Well, you know, there is pressure to putting people through. You know, no program wants to say, well, we only we had you know five trainees and only one of them made it through the program. We had to drop the other four because they were not competent. So there is some some underlying pressure to. to get these individuals through um just like you know once you get to medical school it's very hard to flunk out of medical school you almost have to try to do that Mm -hmm. uh, because the medical schools want to put these you know they want to say we selected you know good students for our medical students and therefore you know 95 percent of our our students go on to complete medical school and get their their degree so there's a lot of a lot of underlying pressure to uh get these people through and sometimes I think that they put people through that maybe would be better if they'd gone in a whole different direction. Sure. Well, it's very interesting talking with you, Doctor. Um, just wanted to, you're a plastic surgeon, and it appears like I read so much more about plastic surgery. I remember when the Barbie was going through her popularity there, that people were getting plastic surgery to look like Barbie are. Are there some uh, situations where you say, whoa, whoa, we're not going to go there? Oh, absolutely, yes. <laughs> there there are what we call plastic surgery junkies. Yeah. People that get on that uh, that uh, uh, train of, of having plastic surgery procedures and can't seem to get off. Uh, there's a point where I think the surgeons say, no more. I mean, you, yeah. you've had your share. Uh, time <clears throat> to get on with your life. So, yeah, and there's all sorts of conditions that you want to be very careful about people that have uh, actually, you know, a mental health conditions where they yeah. they see disfiguring features that don't, that don't exist. And mm-hmm. You don't want to encourage that either. All I can uh, think of is what what uh, some plastic surgeon did to Michael Jackson. It was uh, was amazing. Oh, well, if you have an hour, I can tell you more about that. Yeah, no, I, I'd love to talk to you another time about plastic surgery. It's a very interesting uh, subject, so uh, maybe we can set something up and we can talk about that. So where do we go from here with what you're talking about? I agree with it 100%. We want the best people, and most people are like you and I. We don't think of race or religion or this or that. We just want the best person performing. So uh, what what's happening now? Well, there there's definitely a groundswell, uh, I believe, uh, a pushback against this. Uh, the The issue that, that I have uh, uh, been dealing with mostly is this issue of DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, which seems to be everywhere and mm-hmm. is within my own American uh, College of Surgeons that I belong to. Uh, I've been fighting this for the past year and a half. Uh, I've actually gotten myself banned <laughs> uh, by the American yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I'm blocked from uh, access to my fellow surgeons because I protested uh, too uh, too vocally and, and too uh, strongly. Uh, so I'm just trying to get the word out. Uh, I think people need to be aware. That's one big reason why I'm more than happy to come on shows like yours. Uh, I think people need to support organizations that are trying to uh, restore medicine. 
I think medicine is, is badly broken today, and we need to get back to medical care the way it used to be delivered uh, back when I started my, my uh, medical career. And that is, you know, you treat patients one by one. You don't treat them according to groups. Uh, mm-hmm. I belong to a, an organization called Do No Harm, uh, which is pushing back against a lot of this uh, woke uh, DEI anti-racism and, and, and other things in medicine. And I also belong to an organization called FAIR, uh, Foundation Against Intolerance and Racism, which is doing much the same thing. So uh, if people can, can look up and, and support these organizations, that would be tremendous. And the last thing people can do, besides being informed and supporting organizations, is to write to congressmen, say, hey, listen, you know, I'm, uh, I'm a, a Medicare uh, individual. I worry about the care I'm going to receive. Uh, I want to know that my doctor is the best doctor they can be. And I want to ask you to do everything you can to make sure that the medical profession mm-hmm. is doing just that, is putting out uh, competent individuals and stressing excellence over things like uh, diversity. Well, listen, it's a pleasure to speak with you. I, I just want to ask you one more question. What do you think of virtual exams, which seems to be more and more popular than ever? They're never going to replace the real thing. There, there may be a place for them as an adjunct, but I think you have to put medical students in front of patients. We, we never, when I was in medical school, we never had virtual exams. We were always sent into the hospital to talk to and examine real patients. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't think you can ever duplicate that by having actors, uh, and, you know, actors doing this or doing this in a virtual setting. I, I just don't think it can be done. It's great talking with you. It would be all right if I call you sometime just uh, the discussion of plastic surgery. I think I'd be delighted to hear from you. All right, will do. Thank you for uh, the information, and it's important that we hear this. Thank you, sir. You're very welcome. All right, Dr. Richard Bossard, Washington Examiner op-ed condemning uh, the hiring in medicine, the way they're doing it now, identity-based hiring. Hmm. 